to recognize that if I'm afraid, very likely you're afraid too. I'd like to welcome Dr. Melanie Katzman to the Productivity is Podcast. Melanie, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. So right out of the gate, when I'm talking with people about productivity and time management and they're sitting there going, um, what's the most important thing that I should do? I hear, you know, there's, I, I talk to people about building routines, all that stuff. Uh, but connecting is, is really important. A lot of people, they're so caught up in the to-do list, in the doing that, you know, being, we've heard the phrase human doing instead of human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm looking at your book, Connect First, 52 Simple Ways, and I want to focus on the simple part in a little bit, to ignite success, meaning enjoy at work. Connect First, how do you help someone break through the bias of, no, 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 I've got these other things to do. What do you mean I should spend some time connecting first? Mm-hmm. So. You know, Mike, one of the things I tell people is that you sometimes have to slow down, literally take a beat, a couple of seconds, maybe a minute, and then that speeds things up. Because if we don't make that connection, ultimately things will take longer and be less efficient. There you go. That's And, and, that's, and I think that a lot of people, when they're looking at time, it's really weird. There's this thing called time dilation, this phenomenon that, mm-hmm. that you know, a minute seems like if you don't do anything for a minute in my talks, I'll actually say, we're going to sit here for 60 seconds and do nothing. And mm-hmm. it's just, it freaks everybody out. But yet, um, w- you know, a year you're looking back and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the year's done already. So it's this time dilation is crazy. And I think the thing that keeps us from, that, that allows us to stay grounded, like you talk about, is this connection, right? Right, and actually, it, when you connect, time expands. Mm-hmm. And I have a number of different instances in the book where I say to people, practice having five minutes of silence before a um, meeting that's going to be potentially very conflictual. People look at me like I'm insane. Five minutes of silence, who takes five minutes? But actually, giving people the opportunity to be together to ground themselves, to set their intentions, creates an environment where people are more aligned because biologically we just naturally start syncing and recognizing that it feels good to be in sync with the people around us. And from that foundation, you have conversations that are much more fruitful. It's a five-minute investment, but the long-term benefit is really profound. Now, one of the things that that you hear a lot when it comes to efficiency, productivity is, is email and communication mm-hmm. and slowing people down, like that slowing down, like, oh, you're filling my inbox with stuff. And I uh, remember when I talked to uh, Joshua Kerr about how to be great at your job, one of the things he talked about was over communicating. I'll link to that mm-hmm. back in the show notes. We, you know, you've got a similar take on this too, is the idea of, listen, it, when we communicate, when we connect that connection, it can save us a lot of time. Can you talk about the idea of like, you know, saying, hey, you know, the idea of got it, like, hey, l- let's it. make that yep. happen. Thanks for asking me that, Mike, because people ask me, what are your favorite um, chapters in the book? And by far, one of my favorite chapters is the chapter called Got It. It's two critical words. Somebody sends you a request, let them know that they have hit your radar screen. Say, got it. There's a concern that I have to have the answer before I indicate a response. No. Don't worry about having the answer. Let the person know that they've gotten your attention. And this works in both directions. It works when you receive something from a request from your boss or when you are 
receiving a request from a subordinate in both directions. People want to know that they've been seen, that they've been heard, that you're working on getting them an answer. If you can say, I'll have an answer for you by X date or X time, that's even better. But what happens when we don't get those two simple words, got it? We set off a whole emotional storm in our inner environment where I don't know, do I matter? Do they care about me? Why aren't I a priority? Maybe my email was wrong. We go back, we reread our email. We get concerned as to why we invested the time and effort to prepare whatever it was that we were sending to the recipient who ignored us. So if you say, got it, you save so much emotional energy and demonstrate respect and also allow people to manage their own time because managing your own time is a form of respect and autonomy at work that, again, builds rapport, connection, and leads to greater satisfaction. So as we go through the book, um, and we're going to be jumping in different directions with the book because the way that this book is structured in, you know, for me, the way I was looking at it, is there certain things that caught my eye as I went mm-hmm. through it, right? Um, and the idea so of- so let me, Yeah, let me yeah. just make a point about that. Sure. Because when I wrote the book, I wrote it in, with, in mind that people could just jump in, something catches their eye, you pick it up, and you can find the answer to today's problem mm-hmm. so that it didn't need to be read in a linear way. However, there is a linear build. So for those people who like to read in order or want to follow a story, the book starts with how to establish respect and really ends with how you change the world. Because if you don't establish respect, you don't create trust. And then creating trust allows you to have the conversations that enable you to clear conflict, to then work together, to dream big, and to leverage your impact. So the book is set up so you could dip in and out when needed. And equally, if you want, you can see how each step builds on one another. Well, I just I, want to toss that in. Well, and I, like like I was I was going to say that it's a book you can, you should return to. Like, there's so many books out there that are so linear that and, and anecdotes, right? Like, there there's a lot of anecdotal stuff that shows mm-hmm. it, and, and there's no the meat. You have to look for the meat, right? Like, it's it's sometimes they're like, "Where's the beef?" Like, you're looking and it's going, "Okay, <laughs> there it is, there it is." Yes, I got through that story, and and I mean, that what I loved about the 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 52 simple ways. How important was it for you to make sure that these ways were simple? Well, you're speaking about time and time efficiency. Having been a coach and consultant for over 30 years, one thing I know is if anything I suggest is going to take too much time, people aren't going to do it. So I made a point that everything in the book could be done in usually less than three minutes, sometimes one minute, sometimes a smile takes a second. So I wanted to be very clear that this is not a huge investment of time and my suggestions don't take money in most instances. So this is about how you use your relational self to drive a connection that then maximizes efficiency and productivity. When I was going through section two, part two, engaging all Mm -hmm. of your senses, the first thing I thought was the connection that's happening there first is the connection with yourself. Would that be something that you like? And then from there, you can kind of. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Right. In fact, if you want to think about it, it's we have to connect with ourselves first, be aware of where we're looking. I mean, where do you cast your gaze? You know, we need to be intentional with who we look at, because when you don't make contact with somebody, that says something. So who you exclude by not looking at them is powerful. So we need to be aware of how we use our senses whether we listen to really understand or whether we listen to reload our argument. So the first part of the book is around using your senses, is around developing those skills that make you a magnet 
all about self-development, self-awareness. From there, you can build the team loyalty. And then from there, you can work into sector and community discussions and collaborations. So it's very much me, then us, and then me, then you, then us, right? And that's also part of the build. I think one of the ways that simplicity and, and having these ones that we're talking about, like that just very concrete, tactical, simple ways that you can, you can do these, it, you can, you can connect is it helps you break some of the biases that, that can get in the way of this kind of thing. Like the idea that I was talking right off the top of like, Oh, I don't have time to connect or why is that so important? <laughs> How do you, uh, you know, beyond the book, what are some of the things that you you've noticed with people, the biases that kind of get in their way from doing this? And then how have you mm-hmm. helped them resolve it? So um, great. Another great question. So one of the things I think that happens is that we trade efficiency. Uh, we trade connection in the name of efficiency and it's the wrong trade because if we don't take that minute to slow down, to make eye contact, to find out someone's name, to use their name appropriately, to say, please, to say, thank you, to say good morning in your first email to your team that you're not going to see. All these things are really small, but they're actually hugely impactful. So in our office, not everybody is co-located for Katzman Consulting, but what we do, the first email of every day is the good morning mail. And so we just say good morning to each other. How was your night? Hope you had a, have a good day. It takes two seconds, but it humanizes things. At the end of the day, I always write the sign-off note. You know, good night. Have a great evening. Thank you for today. Here's a couple of highlights. Again, takes just a couple of minutes. But what it does is it says, I see you, even if it's virtually, and also lets people know that the day has ended. And if you continue with working, that's your prerogative. But when you don't work in the same office, you can't always necessarily know who's in, who's out, who's leaving. So these things are really small. They're not time consuming. But what it does is it creates a sense of connectedness, that we are working together, and we are respecting each other's time such that there's boundaries. Because in today's interconnected, highly technologically driven society, we can always be on we're exhausted, and we're not necessarily really relating. We're just doing, as you said. Part four was one, there's two parts in particular that really resonated with me, like in terms of where I would want to return to consistently, because I think that this is where, once I think this is where the reminders for me need to come into play. So the idea of growing loyalty. And I mean, one Mm. of the things that drew me to it right immediately was uh, the gift of time, like giving, Mm. giving that gift, like there's, there's, and then the idea of, but the one that, that I want to focus on initially is mm-hmm. I'm a word nerd and we hear about enough. You are enough, enough, enough. And I was talking about this with my with my son, I think, who's who again, my son is, you know, going on 10 years old. And I said to him, the word enough to me is literally one step away from not enough. Like there's just mm. but plenty. And and when you talk about chapter 26, there's plenty for everyone. I love that term. Can we dig into that particular component? Because I think we, we especially in this age of minimalism and you are enough and you have enough, to hear the term plenty, to some that may sound like gluttony, but I don't think that's the case at all. Right. And the chapter is called There's Plenty for Everyone. And it's my invitation that we assume an abundance, not a scarcity mentality. Because if you are afraid that you don't have enough, that you are not enough, that people aren't doing enough, what does it do? It activates our conflict sensibility. Mm -hmm. We prepare for a fight. We're looking to see what we could get. We're arguing for our real estate. We're defending our territory. And that's just the opposite of what I'm encouraging people to, to do, which is to release the 
oxytocin, our bonding neurotransmitter. We are naturally wired to connect. And when we do, biology works for us. It allows us to calm down, to take risks, to feel safe. And by contrast, when we assume this not enough mentality, then we are going to battle and we're igniting our cortisol. And that means we're going to either fight or we're going to flee but we're not going to feel good. And ultimately we're not going to be productive because when the blood drains from your brain into your extremities so that you can prepare for battle, you're not your best self. So even though I think people tend to imagine that a winning strategy is fighting for everything, I would argue it's just the opposite. If you can relax into the all that you have, You will not only feel better, you'll make other people feel better. They will be drawn to you. You'll get more information. And ultimately, since we're talking about time, you will save time because you're not losing time and energy by becoming distracted by arguments or, um, you know, uh, defenses that are not needed. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation, but when we come back, I'm going to talk to Melanie about the idea that apologizing is key and why that's the case. She's going to touch on the difference between complex and complicated, and she's going to reveal which of the 52 simple ways that she wrote about that she wrote first. But first, I want to talk to you about running a business. And when running a business, HR issues can absolutely kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries, they they are not cheap. They cost an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. And with Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business. And they help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. This is month to month. There's no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time. Now, you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. And you can go to Bambi.com slash timecrafting right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash timecrafting. Spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash timecrafting. So head there right now to schedule your free HR audit today. One of the things I try to do every single day is study. I'm a big fan of learning 
And if you're a fan of learning and want to take things to the next level, then I suggest you check out what the UCI Division of Continuing Education can offer you. I mean, they can offer convenient quality online education, and there's really never a better time to dive into that. UCI isn't new to online education as well. They've been doing this for years, providing students with quality online courses, and you can learn on your own time online. Established in 1962, the UCI Division of Continuing Education has been offering education for adult learners in Orange County for over half a century, and they maintain over 30,000 enrollments from students worldwide each year and they offer hundreds of exciting courses and programs to local, regional, and global constituencies. Continuing education is a great way to stay abreast of developments and best practices in your field, and certificate programs offer best practices and teach the most relevant practical skills. There are certificate programs and specialized studies programs available. I mean, the UCI Division of Continuing Education has courses and certifications in a wide range of categories, from business and leadership to IT, project management, law, and human resources. Now these online courses are taught by expert instructors with industry experience. They offer flexibility and a real immersive online classroom experience where you can even collaborate with your peers. And these online courses, they allow busy working adults like you to take classes at your own time. You don't have to drive to campus. That's not what you can do right now anyway. You can't drive to campus because you're not allowed to go anywhere. Now, certificate programs offer an in-depth body of knowledge to ensure you gain mastery of a particular topic, whereas specialized studies programs, they, they feature shorter, more concentrated curricula for those short on time. Both are distinctive achievements that can help prepare you for career advancement or transition. Now, you're going to want to take advantage of this offer that UCI Division of Continuing Education is offering listeners of the Productivity is Podcast. Spring quarter is now open, so enroll today. Visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code timecraft and get 15% off of one course. That's ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code timecrafting for that 15% discount off of one course. Now, this discount is for almost all of the certificate programs. The exceptions only include coding boot camps, international programs, teacher credentialing programs, and test prep courses. And this offer is only valid until July 31st, 2020 at 1159 p.m. So what are you for. Enroll today. Visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter that promo code timecrafting. Get 15% off of one course now. Now it's time to share with you my Productivityist podcast pick of the week and it is Curious by Josh Peck. Now that's kind of maybe a weird thing for me to recommend considering that Josh Peck is probably someone that I only became familiar with when I was, you know, watching television show programs with my daughter when she was watching things like Drake and Josh back in the day. Yeah, Josh Peck is that kid from Drake and Josh. And he's now a well-known YouTuber. And he has a podcast that I, I didn't know that I was going to like. But then all of a sudden I saw some of the guests that he's had on, like, you know, David Epstein and, and Casey Neistat and, and people that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. But you see, Josh Peck is interested, in fact, curious about a wide variety of things, and he showcases this during this podcast. And it's been around for a while. I'm only fairly new to it, but everything I've heard so far, I really enjoy. You know, you've got the Dax Shepard podcast, you know, uh, armchair uh, expert that he's done for a while. You've got Justin Long doing his. You've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing theirs. I think the the rise of the celebrity podcast that kind of goes outside of the scope of what you normally hear them talk about, or maybe it expands your view of what these you know celebrities are interested in josh peck fits that mold and and you know he does a really great job 
uh, I, I encourage you to give it a go. I mean, you've, if you've got an inclination to get some different perspective and you yourself are curious, then I encourage you to check out Curious by Josh Peck. It's my Productivity is Podcast pick of the week. Now let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Melanie Katzman here on the Productivityist Podcast. Chapter 33, apologizing. A Canadian, I'm really good at saying sorry. I'm really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, sounds, it sounds really good when you say it. It, it does. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I've had enough practice. But t- tell me, you know, when, you, when you're into that area, because we're moving into, into this area, this is, you know, part five, the resol- resolution of conflict, which, which you touched on just, just a moment ago. Um, the idea of just apologizing and moving forward, I think, is key. And then you, you address that. Right. But people are so reluctant. Maybe we need some more Canadians in the places that I'm working. <laughs> but, you know, that people are reluctant to say I'm sorry. It's as if I'm going to lose something, something of myself, something of my privilege or my territory again, if I say sorry. And a good sorry is hard to come by. Because how many times have we heard somebody say, I'm sorry you feel that way, Mike? Well, that's not an apology, Right. Or it's like, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. No, that's not taking responsibility either. A good sorry says, I am apologizing for this specific thing, making very clear what it is that you're apologizing for, and telling the person that you are interested in finding out either how to rectify the situation or avoid it from happening in the future. And that gives somebody a chance to tell you sometimes that what you're apologizing for isn't even what upset them. Mm -hmm. Because that's always really interesting, is that you think you've pissed somebody off and you're trying to make it all better, but you don't actually know what you did. You think you did. But you don't. And that's part of where the conflict resolution comes from, is being able to have that conversation that results when people relax and don't feel like they have to defend. So start off with, I'm sorry. You'll learn more information. You'll build much greater bonds between people. And what I tell everyone that I work with, you don't have a good relationship with someone unless you have actually faced a conflict and cleared it. That's what deepens the relationship. If you just stay kind of happy, clappy, and on the surface and pushing conflict under the rug, you're not really forging a healthy relationship. So have the conflict Face it, apologize where necessary, and then rejoice in what you've built together by getting through the difficulty. As we move forward in the book, I'm going to circle back to the title, 52 Simple Ways, the subtitle. Um, I've always said that there's a big difference. Again, the word nerd to me, simple and easy are different. I mean, they, oh, it, oh, we debated that so much, Mike, and picking. It was like, should the title be 52 <laughs> simple or should it be 52 easy? I was like, no, they're not always easy, but they're simple. Well, and you and you touch on a little bit later in the book in chapter 38, the idea of being a simplifier, not a complicator, because mm-hmm. complex and complicated are different as well. So can we touch yep. on that a little bit? Right. So there is a way in which people will use technical terms and lots of professional jargon because somehow it's boosting their esteem. Mm -hmm. And I think what it's doing is alienating people. So if you make people smarter, they will be drawn to you. I mean, I continually come back to this concept of being the magnet, the person people want to be with, the person who is receiving information and invitations. And the way that you are magnetizing your presence is by helping people feel smarter and better about themselves because of the interaction they had with you. But too often, people will come into situations, use highly technical, complicated phraseology, and make the people in the room feel either stupid or impatient or bored. 
So, you know, there's, you know, a saying that says, I would have written something shorter, but I didn't have the time. Yep. Like, <laughs> I think invest, it's, yeah, I've heard right? that before. It's hilarious. <laughs> right. Invest the time, save everybody else the time by making it simple. It will smooth the transactions. And we go back to this idea of where do you set your intention and invest time so that things will be more efficient. Well, so and, I look, you know, yeah. And I think the other thing is too, and I've, I've come across this in my own work is that we often, and this is again, kind of being uh, oblivious to it to a certain degree is, you know, I used to say the term GTD all the time when I was uh, practicing getting things done and I would get people saying, what's GTD? Sometimes you're mm-hmm. so close to something and it's, it's not even intentional. Like you don't mean to complicate it, but because you're sometimes so close to things and you've got this, you know, kind of attachment to it that you forget that not everybody is that close to what you're talking about oh, as you absolutely. are. Oh my God. And I have been in so many companies where I just feel like it's word salad. Like how many different initials are we <laughs> having the personal development program is the PDP, but then we have the leadership development program. That's the LDP. And then we have the transition development. I'm like, Whoa, wait a second, because that's just a whole bunch of initials. Um, in writing the book, it was interesting. I got feedback in my early drafts um, to get all of the jargon out. And here I am thinking I had de-jargoned it. So I was like, wait, I pride myself on the fact that I made this accessible. But to your point, Often we are so deep into our fields, are into the kind of lexicon that we use in our work, but we're not even aware that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's sometimes helpful to get an, another person, you know, present your talk to your 14-year-old son before you go on stage, because probably they'll give you the best feedback about whether or not you're making sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I think we definitely need to be careful about that. So before we started recording, we talked about some of the things that we both uh, have fondness for. Uh, Scotch is one of them. But the other thing is the color green. And uh, I'm looking around my office and I see all my Green Lantern stuff. I'm looking at my hand and I've got my Green Lantern ring that my kids gave me. And that leads me to the fear component that you talk about in the book. The idea Mm. of of, because fear is such a huge thing. it, it, it could be a motivator and it could be a debilitator all in the same fell swoop or, and it shows up. It's you, you can't necessarily eliminate it. You just have to face it. So, and fight it. So can we talk about, cause now that you've, we've gone through this idea of, of awareness and kind of the boundaries and we're, we're getting into, you know, we're getting to the tail end of things. Um, fear will show up constantly. How are, yep. how, how do you kind of keep, how do you kind of keep fear at bay so that you can continue to connect? So one of the things that really drove me to write the book was the presence of fear and how it was so divisive for individuals and for groups. And the way that we can fight fear first and foremost is to recognize that we are all much more alike than we are different. And so connecting at the human level enables us to recognize our shared similarities because it's from there that we can then work through our differences. So in a number of different ways, I encourage people to be very open, not only open-minded, but to open your doors and truly invite other people in, to be unafraid of asking questions that don't have obvious answers. And the way that we do that is in creating a trusting environment, which you do by being respectful and making sure that the people who are coming into conversation with you have a proper introduction, something that makes them feel proud of who they are and what they're about to contribute, that you make sure that everyone knows who's in the room. This sounds so basic, but you know what? If you don't know who you're talking to, you're not going to have a comfortable conversation, right? That you build bridges, look for ways in which there are similarities. And that may mean 
investing, again, we come back to a little bit of time to find out what makes somebody tick outside of the work environment that you're dealing with them in. So in order to fight fear, we need to look for what is shared between us and to really make an effort to have even a bit of conversation that demonstrates that commonality. And to recognize that if I'm afraid, very likely you're afraid too. So let's label that, recognize that shared vulnerability, and then also identify what we're afraid might happen and what we're afraid might not happen. And in that conversation, then start to set goals that we can agree on such that we both can come to an outcome that we're proud of. You, you mentioned earlier on how the book is both able to be read linear, like in a linear fashion, but also you can pick it up. And, and we've, we've talked about that. Now we've, once the fear pieces kind of, wouldn't say taken care of, but let's say that it's, it's something that, again, you've got a heightened awareness around. Then we're talking about the impact piece, like the big impact. Mm-hmm. What, if someone's going to tackle that, like, and I know we've got, you've got several chapters inside of it, where, where do you think people tend to gravitate towards first when they're looking at this big impact piece? Because I think that there's, I mean, I think everyone has their own, like you said, there's a lot of sameness between people. When people are looking at this and they say, Hey, I want to have a big impact. How does connection play a role in that, you know, in that impactfulness that someone can put into play? Well, first of all, I think it's recognizing that we all have a platform to, um, have an impact. So if you are the person who is the receptionist or you're the person who is occupying the corner office, the way you treat people will impact how they feel about themselves and about the interactions that are about to unfold. But I also encourage people to recognize that we can work across generations to create, you know, in the earlier chapters, I talk about creating the groups you want to be a part of, to recognize that if you want to leverage impact, it will come, um, you'll get many creative solutions if you diversify the people that you're working on solutions with. And that includes age diversity, recognizing the history of your organization um, or the history of your community group and being able to come together and say, what have we learned? What do we want to do differently going forward? And to be able to um, give voice to the ways in which people want to contribute and to recognize that sometimes the way you're going to have impact and contribute in that moment is because you have an electrical cord that's going to be able to light up somebody's machine. That may be your impact. You may be able to provide running water that is just going to give people the drink that they need because they've come in from the countryside and are parched before they're able to even begin to talk about the ways that they want to build bridges between, say, local uh, rural communities that are trying to, to sell things in the cities. I mean, I can go on and on about ways in which we bring people together from diverse backgrounds, but have an impact by recognizing that we all have something to contribute and we open up our minds and our conversations to say, well, what might that be? Is it time? Is it your utilities? Is it your connections? Is it your knowledge? And that from there, we can challenge the status quo and ask those tough questions. And I ultimately end the book with dreaming audaciously. It's like, you know what? Nothing happens if you can't, if you don't have a dream, you can't make a dream come true. Mm -hmm. And so if you're unafraid to say, this is what I'm driving towards, then you can ask those questions. You can ask for help and people can start to look at ways they want to help you and they will want to help you because you have respected them, seen them and been that magnet that I've been encouraging people to do throughout the book. Melanie, this has been a great conversation. I've got one more question for you. So sure. When you're, when you're putting the 52 simple ways together, uh, 
I could ask you what your favorite one is. I could ask you what's the one that someone can start with, but instead I'm going to ask you, what was the first one that you wrote? Ooh. Um, so the <laughs> I didn't wrote. expect that one, did you? <laughs> oh, no, that's a great one. Oh, all right. I said I'm a lot of podcasts. No one's asked me that. Thanks. Um, is actually create the group you want to be part of which comes in much later in the book, but it is something that has really been a guiding principle for me because oftentimes I've been in entrepreneurial situations where what I'm doing and how I want to do it hasn't been done. And the way that I've been able to feel supported and less lonely is to create the group that I wish I was a part of, but I couldn't find. And that gives me energy. And then once I'm energized by that group. I can re-energize the group. And then there's this wonderful mutuality. And it's one of the more complex chapters in terms of how I go about phrasing it and describing the neurobiology behind it. But for me, it was one of those coaching gifts, if you will, that I wanted to get into the book. It was important to share that lesson. It's been very um, useful for me. And I've seen the effect it's had for the people that I've worked with. Melanie, this has been great. And what's in, you know, I, as we're recording this, this is early in the day for me. Normally I don't do interviews this early, but it was like, this is going to work out really well. And it's funny because when you connect with the right person and you can feed off the energy they bring to the table, it raises your energy. So there's, there's stuff that I think that we can learn a lot from, again, that gift of time, taking time saying, you know what, let's, let's, let's have a really great conversation. Let's connect. And I think we've done that on, on this episode today. I want to thank you for joining me. The book is Connect First, 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work. Where can people pick up this book and also keep up with your work? So the book is available all places that books are sold. Um, certainly can order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. Um, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, at Melanie Katzman, and that's M-E-L-A-N-I-E-K-A-T-Z-M-A-N. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivities Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a great conversation.